because we are going to continue in this series on the Ten Commandments. This, uh, we're going to spend, uh, in this third week, we're going to spend time in, our, uh, in, in the third uh, of Ten Commandments that God gave to his people uh, through Moses on Mount Sinai. And if you have joined us over the last couple of weeks, then, then you remember Pastor Moses has been teach, <coughs> began teaching us in these Ten Commandments, sometimes called the, the Decalogue, and, 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 and kind of revealing to us some of God's plan, God's intention to his people in communicating them to them the Ten Commandments. Now, Oftentimes, I mean, you don't have to, uh, go ahead, raise your hand if you've struggled to understand the Ten Commandments. Are these just more than a, a to-do list, a do this, don't do this list? I mean, when we, when we approach the Ten Commandments, oftentimes, don't we see it as that? Don't we see it as a, as a nice, neat, uh, ethical list of commandments that we are to do or not to do? And so we, we kind of sometimes feel like it's, a, it's sort of a, a dry place to come to and say, this is one of those restrictive places where God is telling his people, don't do this and don't do that. The, uh, the Ten Commandments, if we can put them up on the screen, Ten Commandments tell us that we are to have only one God, right? We're not to worship any idols. We're, we're not to take the Lord's name in vain. We're to keep the Sabbath. We're to honor our mothers and our fathers. There's no murdering, no committing adultery, no stealing, no, no giving a, a false witness, no coveting what others have, right? These 10 commandments, they seem, uh, at first glance, they seem kind of like, okay, God, are we just kind of throwing some, some things together that, that are important, you think, or, or, or to pay attention to? So are these just a, a, a list of ethical rules and guidelines that God has, has given us to pay attention to? Or, or are they more than that? See, when Pastor Moses and I sat down and started talking about this series together, uh, what we talked about is that, that no, the, the Ten Commandments are more than just rules to live by. They're the key to understanding the deeper and abundant life that God wants for his people. The life that Jesus promises in the New Testament that, that's abundant and overflowing. I think the Ten Commandments, if we were to look back in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments are our key to understanding what this life is all about. Like a builder's drawing of a home before it's built, so the Ten Commandments are, are a plan to build our lives upon. Right? We can look at them and see the schematics of, of the abundant life that God has for us. I'm not sure if you, you believe me this morning. Okay. You don't have to take my word for it, right? Yeah, it does, does sound good. Thanks, Scott. Don't, don't take my word for it, right? Let's take Jesus' word for it. In Matthew 5, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, listen, I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to say, okay, that's insufficient. That's not good. We're just going to do away with that, and I've got something better for you. Jesus said, no, I actually came to fulfill the law to complete it, to, to, to make it whole, right? And, and what he means by that is that Jesus came to live his earthly life completely in obedience to God's law, fulfilling it to the T, not missing a piece, but doing it all in complete obedience to his heavenly father. And see, here's the thing. This is the same Jesus whom we proclaim together, that we've been predestined to be conformed to his image, right? 
We, we are on a path of spiritual formation where we are called to become more and more like Jesus who did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And by fulfilling it, he does so by living obediently to the law. So uh, we can't say yes to following Jesus without also saying yes to obeying the law of God. And the Ten Commandments are that summary of God's law. They're the blueprints, they're the schematics for us to build our lives upon. But in order for us to genuinely and meaningfully obey God, right, and fulfill the law in, in, Jesus, in following Jesus' footsteps, I think we need to understand what we're obeying and why we're obeying it, right? The, the purpose and intention of the laws we live by are, are, are meaningful, right? The, the, take, for example, the laws that we live by today. They're there for our safety, and not just for our own safety, but for the safety and the well-being of the people around us, right? Speed limits, drinking ages, and laws against violence. They're, they're doing more than just keeping us safe. They're keeping the people safe who live around us, the community we're in, the, the society that we're a part of. They're boundaries, safe boundaries to keep us all safe together in. But, but God's law, the law that God has given us, serves a different purpose. See, God's law actually serves a purpose of, of revealing the will and the character of God. It's more than a list of uh, ethical do's and don'ts. It's not less than that, by the way. I'm not saying that we shouldn't see this as good instruction for living life in a way that honors God and is, is good standard, but it's, not, it's more than that. God's intention, God's purpose in giving us his laws was to reveal something of his will and his character. Have you ever found yourself wondering what God's will is for your life? Have you ever found yourself kind of wishing, God, wouldn't you just write it in the clouds of the sky? Tell me what I'm supposed to do here. Give me some guidance, Lord, right? Have you ever found yourself to be in that place? Well, guess what? Better than writing through the clouds in the sky, God has given us his law to reveal to us his own heart, his own character, his own desire for us as his creation. And that will is what Moses is talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 5. When, 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 when calling the people of Israel to obey the laws that God has put before them, Moses records, or we read this in, in chapter 5, verse 33. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. See, God's will is for us to live. I don't mean survive, by the way. I don't mean to make sure our bodies are still functioning and all that. God desires for us to live, to live in the land that he provides, to live in his kingdom, and not just to get by, not just to survive, not just to kind of pass the time that God has blessed us with. God desires for us to live but, but notice that the law God has given us so that we might live is not the key to enter into the kingdom. It, it, it's not the way that Israel makes their way into the land that God has given them. 
It's the way that they are to live while they're in the land, right? That's an important distinction here for us to understand when we think about the law. The law is not meant for us to be on God's good graces and get in his favor so that he lets us in. God has given us the law so that we might know how to live in the land that he's provided for us. It's how we're to dwell in God's presence and in his land. Church, God's will for your life is to obey his law so that you might live a more abundant life. You might live a life, a full life, characterized by his love. So I want us to posture ourselves in front of these Ten Commandments, not seeing them as some restrictive laws or rules that are seeking to control our lives and dictate how we're to live, but they're an invitation. They're meant to be this freeing invitation into the deeper life of God shaped by his love. Where am I getting this idea that, that our obedience to the law results in love? Well, because God is love, right? If the law is revealing his will and his character, then it's revealing his very being, and God is love. And so his law, which he invites us to obey, is a reflection of that divine character. When we look at the law of God, summarized in the Ten Commandments, we should be able to see him see his heart, see his desire, see his longing for his people and for his creation. See, in the New Testament, when a lawyer challenges Jesus on the law and the commandments, you know, we've looked at this passage from time to time. Jesus concludes that the entirety of God's law is summarized into not even 10 commandments, but really two commandments, loving God and loving our neighbors. The the Bible teaches us that if we are created in the image of God, if we reflect the image of God, then our lives reflect the love of God. It it teaches us that, that we love others not because we're good or nice or selfless people. We're not people who are good at being generous and kind and caring. We love others because God first loved us. Because God, out of his divine nature, created people in his image. He created out of that loving nature to be to a people to be to reflect him, to, to represent him to the world. And in the Ten Commandments is, is a building plan for our lives where that divine love of God pours into us through, through our Heavenly Father, through, through who He is through us, and into the lives of our neighbors around us. In other words, church, we come to know God through his law, which communicates his love for us, and and then our obedience to that law is a formational process where we become more like him. I know we don't like that word obey. I I know it's a yucky word because it sounds domineering and restrictive, and condescending from a high place of authority onto the people below. But it couldn't be any further from that truth because God invites us into a place where he calls us to trust him, to trust that he is a God of love and he loves us. And as we draw near to him, in obedience to him, 
we see more intimately who this God of love truly is. And not only do we see him, but we, became, we, we become shaped and formed in his image. We become more like him. So the Ten Commandments are not just some moral, ethical checklist to evaluate our goodness by. It's not, a, it's not a list to go through and say, how many of these Ten Commandments have I gotten down today? Do you, do you, think, do you think God's going to open the pearly gates to me if I get nine out of these ten? What do you, how do you think that's going to go? That's not at all what we're supposed to approach these Ten Commandments as. The Ten Commandments, they're, they're a building plan, a spiritual formational plan that God has given us to pursue and to grow in and to grow in our knowledge of God as we lean into through obedience to the law as he's given it to us. And so over these last two weeks, Pastor Moses has shown us how God has designed us with room in our hearts and our lives for only one God. Now, there are plenty of lowercase g gods in our world, but you are designed to worship one God and one God only. You may think, hey, I can give attention to a lot of different things, but, but there is room at the core of your being for giving priority to one God and one God alone. Jesus says in the New Testament that, that you cannot worship both God and mammon, money, for you will love the one and hate the other. There's room in our hearts for only one God, as Pastor Moses showed us the last couple of weeks. And, and, and not just that. We have to be concerned not just that we worship one God, but that we recognize all the potential places where we create idols and many different things and worship those things. But God and God alone deserves our worship. This week, I want us to explore the third commandment and how our obedience to that third commandment grows us as disciples. I want us to know not just what the third commandment says so we can be more obedient to it. I want us to understand that as we trust God's word and will for us in being obedient to the third commandment, how God wants to shape and mold your life after his. In Exodus chapter 20, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and keep it open to Exodus chapter 20. We're gonna just, I'm just gonna read verse seven for us this morning. Moses records this. This is the commandment God gave him while he was on top of the Mount Sinai and brought it down to the people of Israel. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. And Lord, we come before you in this moment, in this place of prayer, to dedicate our hearts to you and ask you to work in our hearts and our minds as we seek to know you through Exodus 20, verse 7. Reveal your will to us. But Lord, please empower us beyond that revelation of your will to shape our hearts and minds in reflection of your law, that we might be a people who reflect you to the world around us. Have your way in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do not take, you shall not take the name of Lord your God in vain. Vanity is not necessarily one of those words we use in our everyday language. It's not uncommon. I mean, we do use it from time to time, but it's not necessarily something you, you see woven into your daily conversations you might have. So it, it might feel like a little unfamiliar for us to be thinking about taking something, let alone the Lord's name, in vain. And so what taking something in vain really boils down to is misusing something. 
take for example a, a treadmill in the gym. I want you to just kind of picture walking into a gym. You, we, I imagine we've all been there at one point or at least seen uh, a gym, right? And, and I want you to picture the treadmill. What would happen if you saw someone walk into the gym, you're on the elliptical, you know, you're, or, 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 or you know, pump an iron, whatever, in the corner, and you see someone walk in, approach the treadmill, climb up on it, place a pillow, lay down, and pull a blanket over him, take a nap. Well, what would you think of that? That's crazy, right? It's ridiculous. It's laughable, right? That is taking a treadmill in vain. It's misusing it. It's hijacking its purpose. It's rejecting the purpose for which it was created and is there in the gym. And so the third commandment is really all about having a proper relationship with God, not mistreating God beyond his name. We'll get to this in a minute. But beyond just the name of God, it's recognizing that God has created us to have a purposeful and intentional and meaningful relationship with him. And to approach him in any way that contradicts that is to take the name of the Lord in vain. To be clear, the third commandment does not forbid us from using God's name. The third commandment forbids us from misusing God's name. When, when, when I imagine maybe when, when I read through verse 7 this morning, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, there are a number of us who are thinking, okay, great, pastor's going to give us a, a, a sermon on cursing and profanity, right? Well, it, it's oftentimes how we understand this verse. We typically hear this verse and we think, okay, that's referring to people swearing or using God's name in a swear, right? But using God's name in vain should be really understood in a broader way. In a, in a well, not in, I don't want to say, in a broader way that, that encapsulates more of what it means to misuse the name of the Lord. I mean, certainly using the name of the, of the Lord to, to curse when you slam your thumb with the hammer or when, when you make some other mistake, it fits the umbrella of not taking the Lord's name in, in vain. But that's really just one example. To, to use the Lord's name in vain is to treat God himself in any empty or careless or insincere way that contradicts his character and his being. Do you understand what I'm saying there? It's, it's, it's to, to treat God carelessly. But not just to treat him carelessly, but, but to recognize that the way we are treating him does not reflect who he really is and, 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 and who we are in light of him. If we're to use God's name carelessly or in some insincere way, we're actually misrepresenting God to the world. We're, we're saying to the world, listen, this, this is who my God really is. He, he's just someone I can kind of call upon when I, when I bash my finger, when I get really angry, or, or, or when someone does something to upset me. See, bad language is really just one category of using the Lord's name in vain. Think, think about it for a minute. When was the last time someone used the Lord's name in vain after smacking their thumb with a hammer. I'm, I'm picking on that because it's like the easiest example. Uh, moments where we lose control of our tongue and we lash out in anger when, in response to a, some, some physical pain. When was the last time someone used the Lord's name in vain after smacking their thumb with a hammer? And, and what they really intended in that moment was, was to, for this to be an act of worship or some expression of their faith. 
Never. No, no one said, no, no one calls upon the name of the Lord in worship after hurting themselves or, or lashing out in anger, right? No, what, what's happening in this moment is that we're, we're using the Lord's name flippantly, carelessly. We're, we're using it to express our anger or, or our impatience or, or even our arrogance, which here's the thing, ironically reflects the opposite of God's character. It, it reflects the opposite of who God is, Right? Another category of how we might misuse the Lord's name is in the area of making promises, right? We, we, we include the Lord's name in our promise, promises as if adding his name to our promise will, will, will magically make it a sure and certain thing, right? Like if I, I tell my friend, you know, I, I swear that I'm gonna, I swear to the Lord, I swear to God that I'm gonna give you these fi- the $5 back, Right? Then he'll give me the $5 to buy that bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich that I really am hungry for, right? No. Like, we, we, we may not outwardly say this, but when we make a promise to someone and swear it to the Lord, all we're doing is falsely wielding the name of the Lord like a weapon, thinking like it's going to accomplish what I needed to accomplish. What the third commandment is really getting at is not that we shouldn't make promises, Right? It's not that, 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 that we shouldn't make a promise, but that we shouldn't carelessly make promises and then use the Lord as like some weapon we can to, to get people to believe that our promise is true. Right? Jesus, Jesus is actually speaking to this. He speaks to this in the New Testament when, when he, he's telling his disciples in Matthew 5, let, let what you say simply be yes or no. Like, you can make an oath. You can make a promise. But let it simply be yes or no. Don't try to convince someone to believe you, even if you know it's not, not a sure thing. Let it simply be yes or no. What matters to Jesus and to God is our truthfulness, is our faithfulness to our promises and, and what matters is that we're not a people who are manipulating a situation by, by flippantly throwing around God's name. That matters to God. Why? Why does truthfulness and faithfulness matter here in the third commandment? Because it reflects the character of God. We mentioned this a moment ago, but God's purpose of his law was to reveal his very character, his very nature, And what's true of God is that he cannot lie and he cannot make false promises. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, it tells us, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Church, what God promises to do, he will do. End of story. There is no need for him to kind of, uh, kind of make the promise sound more believable by adding language and, 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 and other things to the mix. We believe God because he is faithful. He is steadfast. He is true to his promises. And God calls his people who are created in his image to reflect the character of God which is steadfast faithfulness and truthfulness. So as his people, being spiritually formed in his likeness, 
of being truth tellers and promise keepers, we're not going to carelessly throw around his name to add weight to our promises. We're not going to think that somehow because I invoked the name of the Lord, my promise, which I don't know if it's going to turn out, it will definitely turn out the way I want to now because I just invoked the name of the Lord. That's not how it works. God calls us to be truth tellers and promise keepers, to be faithful and steadfast like he is truthful, faithful, and steadfast. Third category for misusing God's name, it's probably the broadest way of understanding taking the Lord's name in vain, and that's the category of irreverence, right? This is the, that way of thinking or speaking that just doesn't take God seriously, doesn't, doesn't value his wisdom and his goodness, right? The, the example from the Bible in the Old Testament is the book of Job, when after Job's children die, what does his wife say to him? Oh, just curse God and die, right? Like, what are you doing? Why are you even following him? Just curse him and die. Just flippantly, carelessly saying, there, there's, nothing, there's nothing happening here, right? See, I, th- I think this idea of irreverence is probably the most common way that we break the third commandment in our day. As a people, we've become all too casual and careless about God. We've become all too casual and careless about, about who he is and, and who we are in light of him, right? Our, our minds are easily distracted. It, it's not even a matter of thinking properly. It's like, can we even think about him for a little while and stay focused on him and consider him? That song we sang this morning about living in light of the, 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 the days we're living, we're, we're in right now and, and invites us to think on him, to dwell on him. But how often do we do that? To rejoice in who he is. See, we, we, we more typically view God as a servant of our wants and needs, right? We, we, we're good about adding our prayer requests to the prayer list to say, God, we need this, we want this. And so we're quick to, to view him as a servant of our own wants and needs rather than understand him as our holy creator, our redeemer, our master, and our king. And so to treat the, the Lord's name with irreverence is, is to treat his whole being too lightly. To, to, to underestimate his power and, and carelessly giving little weight to his presence and his promises. I think when we, when we take the Lord's name in vain through reverence, our view of God is that he's, he's, a, he's a genie in a bottle. He, he, he's, he's this place, uh, he's a buffet where we can pick and choose what we want to put on our tray and what we want to pass over. He's not our king. He's not our creator. He's not our redeemer. He's not one that we understand and believe that we're called to submit to and obey. He's just who we go to when we need something and when we want something. So when we don't obey the third commandment and when we treat God with with irreverence, even God's own people end up misrepresenting and mischaracterizing who he is to this world. A world who needs to know who God is, who, who at the very core of their being, I know, I'm confident, longs to know who our creator God is. But they won't know him if God's people who are created in his image 
Don't learn to live like him and become like him through obedience to this third commandment. Church, I hope we can see more of what God is doing by prohibiting his people from taking his name in vain. It's so much more than, than, than telling us that profanity is a no-no, right? The, the third commandment is a challenge to us. It's an invitation and a challenge to expand our knowledge of how big our God is and to see him as the holy and awesome God that he is. And so this challenge begins with knowing God's name. Before we receive that commandment that we are told not to take the Lord's name in vain, where we're told not to misuse the Lord's name, we need to accept the challenge and the call and the invitation to know the name of the Lord our God. See, in the ancient Near East, a name was more than a way of making a distinction between people. It was more than a label, so you knew the difference between Dan and his son, right? A name signified a person's essence. It characterized their, their attributes, or it described their, their, their character and their attributes, Similar to how people today maybe have the last name of Smith, could trace back in their family heritage to someone in their family at some place who served as a blacksmith or some other kind of smith. And so their family took on this, this last name, this descriptor of something that they, that, that they did as a profession. But, but more than knowing God's profession, his name tells us something of who he is, Right? Later on in, in, in Exodus, Moses pleads with God to show him his glory. He says, God, show me who you are. Show me your character. Show me, show me who you are. So what does God do? Does he take him up on top of a mountain and, and, and show him all of his creation? Does, does God show Moses how powerful and mighty he is by creating another mountain or, or, or expanding an ocean? Does he show Moses signs and wonders to wow him and, and to reveal his power and his might? No. No, he doesn't do any of those. God reveals himself to Moses by declaring his name as he passes by while Moses covers his eyes in the cleft of a rock. Exodus chapter 34. Let me read it for us. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. See, when the, when the Bible talks about the name of God, it talks about it describing his character, his, his nature, his attributes. We're, we're not given a title, or maybe we are, but, but that's just the surface. We've got to scratch beyond the surface and, and, and see who is being described in this name that we're given a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. In the name of God reveals his character. 
It's a description of, of his very essence. So it's important for us to understand that the, the, the third commandment isn't telling us to not speak God's name, but not to speak or treat or think falsely about the very God we believe in, and instead to br- believe rightly in who God is, to trust him, to, to, to long for this God that we come to know as he's revealed himself to us through the scriptures. Church, when we maintain a reverence for God and, and when we live in light of his holiness and his grandeur, we actually do something very special. We reflect his glory, the glory that, that God reveals to Moses. We reflect his glory to the world who longs to know this God, even if they don't know it. They're, they're created to long for a relationship with the one who created them. See, how, how, we, how we view and handle the character of God and, and how we live in light of his character is an act of evangelism. It's an act of telling the gospel, of telling the good news about Jesus who made a way for us to know his heavenly father. How? As we become like him. As we reflect the character and the nature of God because we are image bearers of the one who created us. When, when, when God created us, he created us in his image. That, that passage is from Genesis chapter one. And then he, he sends us out into the world as his image bearers. Look at verses 27 and 28 of Genesis chapter one. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then what happens? And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What does God do after he creates mankind in his image? He sends us out to be fruitful and bearing his image to the world, multiplying and filling the earth with his character and his, his attributes and his nature. God has freely given us his name to speak of. God has freely given us his name to praise and to glorify so that the world may know him. And, and, and not because God has some big ego and needs to hear his name proclaimed, but because he wants the world to know him for who he is, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So the third commandment isn't banning God's name from being spoken or used, but it's commanding us not to misuse his name, not to, not to mischaracterize who God is and, and, and to not to misuse our relationship with him. And, and, and so to begin with, we actually have to know God's name and understand his name and understand his character. And not just by listing off the different names that God is known by in the Bible, but having this full-orbed knowledge of who he is, personally. Not, not saying, hey, this is who this teacher told me God is, but me drawing close enough to God's word to intimately and personally know God to be that God who is slow to anger, gracious and abounding in love and forgiveness, forgiving my iniquities. 
Do you you know God's righteousness? Not just have you heard the pastor talk about God's righteousness. Do you know God's righteousness? Do you know God as, as, as almighty? Is he almighty to you? Do you know God as the most high God? Do you, do you know God as your shepherd, your healer? Do you know God as the one who cleanses and sanctifies your soul? Do you know God as the source of peace and the, the God who provides? These are all names of God in the Bible. Do you know him that way? So the many names of God is easily a sermon series or a Sunday school series that, that, that we could do just by themselves, right? But my question isn't, do you know the names of God in the Bible? My question for you is, do you, do you know the character of God in the Bible? Do you know God fully and intimately and, and, and personally? It sounds harsh, but I actually couldn't care less if you could tell me what the names of, the God are in the, uh, of God are in the Bible. What I care about is do you know God for who he is, who he's proclaimed himself to be? How big, how, how big and majestic is your understanding and knowledge of God? So if you want to use God's name correctly, you have to begin with the right knowledge of God. What, what our takeaway from our time in the third commandment this morning should be is not, okay, God, I'm going to promise to, to, not, to not use your name when I get angry later on. I'm going to see how long I can. It's like a New Year's resolution, right? Let's see how long you can break that bad habit. That's not what our takeaway should be. Our takeaway should be a challenge to know God more fully, to understand his names the names that are, that are used to describe his character and his nature in the Bible, that should be our challenge. That's our invitation. That's the part of this plan that's an invitation for us to live the more abundant life in coming to know God more fully, personally, and intimately through the various names of God in the Bible. So what name do you know God by? See, the, the, the third commandment is not just some further restriction on the, on the Christian life, some, some words that are off limits for us to use in our society. It's an invitation to know God more fully and more completely. It's an invitation to, to take seriously who he is and to treat the lives that we've been living in him seriously as well, Right? to not treat them carelessly or flippantly, to not see my life in Christ as one sort of category or, or, or compartment in my life, but as being central to who I am, central to how I live my life. It's an invitation to be a people who keep their promises because we're God's children and, and, and God himself is a promise keeper. It's an invitation to be steadfast and faithful because God is steadfast and faithful. So church, we will not take the Lord's name in vain because there's nothing vain or meaningless about who our God is. And when we obey the third commandment, we're loving him for who he actually is. Not just who we're told he is, because we go to church and that's what they say. We're, we're, we're obeying the third commandment ourselves because we have come to that place of understanding who God is. We believe it. We're gonna trust it and obey it 
and follow in his steps. And we're going to see ourselves, for ourselves that, that God is who he proclaims himself to be. And the result of that church is that the world will see God in and among his people. So we will not take the, the name of the Lord our God in vain, but we will treasure him. We will treasure him more and more as we seek to know him, to love him, and become formed in his likeness day by day. So church, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for, um, for showing us, not just telling us about the abundant life that is ours through faith in Jesus Christ, but thank you for showing us how we can obediently follow after Jesus who came to fulfill the law, that, that, that we too might more fully become image bearers of the God who created us and redeemed us and has given us an eternal inheritance. Lord, have your way among us that we would be an obedient people to not treat you carelessly or flippantly. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for those places where we have been careless, where we have been irreverent, where we have been thoughtless, about you, about your wisdom and your goodness. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would take greater control of our lives, that we might not misuse who you are in our relationship to you, but that our lives would be lives of worship honoring you and glorifying you, not just in our deeds, but in our words and our thoughts with our whole being. Because, Lord, we desire to live long in your kingdom for all eternity. Prepare us now. Not just someday. Prepare us to live that life of eternity with you in your kingdom, in your land now, I pray, Lord. That's what we long for. So have your way among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.